This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. There is more important history. In the SEC than any other college football conference. And that's why some folks are going to be way unsatisfied. Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. How are y'all? Hope everybody's having a great start to your week. Or if it is the start to your week, maybe you work the weekend and so you get Monday, Tuesday off. My wife was at the hospital all weekend and she was not in like in the hospital. She was at the hospital working. Um, so she's off today. So maybe that's you. Um, so welcome to the program. Me, Dan, David. We got tremendous guests today. I said there's more important history in the SEC than any other college football conference, and that's true. And there's a lot of history. Ohio State's doing heavy lifting. Michigan, um, that's a titan. I think they still have one more games than anybody in college football history. Maybe. I think. So, yeah, but the SEC, we know what it is. And when you got that much history and that many corners of conference, it is impossible to actually satisfy everyone. Now, you can get close, and I liken this to, I got to say, Cracker Barrel is just about the best plate of food you can get for $11. And maybe it's 12 now or thirteen fifty. I don't know what it is. Here's my money. Um, Cracker Barrel is awesome every single time. Do you know the only frustrating part about Cracker Barrel? That little th- game with the golf tees on the table. Do you know what the goal becomes? Not perfect. Because perfect is you got you, you won. There's one left. You know what the goal is? Get kind of close. I swear. So we need to treat the SEC and its new scheduling Like that game at Cracker Barrel. Realize that the chicken and dumplings, the hash brown casserole, the they used to have a no sugar added apple pie. I would cook it in a spoon and smoke it. It was just unbelievable. Um, It just so you got all this good, and then you realize, dang it, it's that game with the golf tees. Specifically, regarding what to do with permanent opponents in a new schedule format when some programs have big-time history, that's capital B, capital T, when actually so many programs have big-time history with more than three other conference programs. Now, let me step back. Dan, this has not been announced. This is going to be like, Sankey said, probably by Destin, right? Is that the idea? When I talked with Ross Dellinger last week on this Southern Beat, he said before. Woo! 
all right. Well, see, that's another thing. Um, name dropper. Uh, but Dan has good guests at the Southern Beat, and you can get that at southernsportstoday.com or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, but, but by Destin, and, and maybe before that. So let's say by, let's see, February, March, April. By three months from now, we will have what the, not just the 2024 schedule. We don't have that. You know what's more important than the 2020? We're going to have the schedule model going forward. Within three months, we are going to, because I got news for you, going from, do you remember what it was before they added A&M and Missouri? Do we recall? You had two rotating opponents from that would like one would be in year one and one would be in year two from the from the cross division and one would rotate off one would move up to the second year and so that's what you would have two kind of popping in and off at a time and then they're like yeah that didn't work so we're going to have a new schedule model and the most likely model is nine games Dan, would you bet your Chuck Oliver? I'm, I don't bring Dan in first segment, but all of this stuff is speculative, and it will be until Sankey says, and I've dipped my ring in the gold and schedule model. Uh, would you bet your Chuck Oliver show pension on its nine conference games and the 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 three um, permanent opponents and six rotating? Yeah, I'll go with it. Why not? It's and if it's nine conference games, the math works beautifully, folks. Um, and it also does check a lot of boxes. Now, it depends on if you care about the box. I want more variety. A Georgia fan has never seen his or her team play in College Station. I don't think ever. Dan checked that. I don't think ever. I'm going to say it boldly until Dan tells me if I'm wrong. Um, they've seen him play in Shreveport. <laughs> seen him play in Athens. I don't know if they've ever seen him play. And so we want variety. Some people don't care about variety. But so that is one thing under the three permanent six rotating. If there's your program, that means there are 15 others. If you have three permanent opponents, well, guess what? That leaves 12 and six and ooh. So you could have a home and home with six in the next two years have a home and home with the other six so that means you avoid the math that's involved now and so georgia has a trip to texas a&m planned just hadn't happened and now they're going to have a lot more than that they'll play in college station and baton rouge and columbia missouri and south carolina they'll play in every one of those cities that's not a permanent opponent once every four years and so that's more often than twice every 14 so when they announce this it's most likely to be and then you rotate through and you're new a new cycle and it only takes four years to rotate through instead of 14 or 12 i guess but when you have so many programs with big time history with more than three other conference programs then oh we're gonna have to lose some hallowed allegedly Hallowed series and rivalries. Those are different things. Like, I don't know. Florida and Vanderbilt have a series. Do they have a rivalry? Mm. Here's the short answer. The worst outcome of that expected 3-6 model is a series will be (laughs) 
played twice every four years instead of four times every four years. The worst outcome if a series that you swear is important to your fan base and we need this. Do you know if, by the way, there's a series that got a trophy. It's got history. I don't think it has any chance. Dan, do you care? You're at LSU house. Do you care about the golden boot? Really? Not really now, no. Okay. Yeah. And by the, see, Dan knows it. That LSU Arkansas thing, that's deader than fried chicken. That will be a rotating series. But as far as every year, mm-mm, that ain't happening. And so, if the worst outcome now, there's an Arkansas fan who that, especially when they win it and they look at LSU and go, "Hey, we beat y'all." LSU is like, "We win national championships. Good for you having a nice three hours on an afternoon." <laughs> that that is a a response I think an LSU fan would give. Um, but and that's kind of a summary of what it is. It's a Big deal to Arkansas. To LSU is like, yeah, we play them. Fucking UConn announced they had a, a rivalry and a trophy for the game with UCF, and UCF is like, what? We weren't aware of that. So if the worst outcome, and I'm talking in this case to the Arkansas fan because you ain't playing LSU every year anymore. LSU's got like eight programs in line that are more – I don't know, justified based on history than Arkansas. If the worst outcome is that series will be played twice every four years instead of four times every four years, if that's the worst downside, I'm probably going to be okay with all the other deets that get announced. Oh, and, and can I go ahead, lay off Vandy. Almost every reference I've seen to Vanderbilt has the Commodores as the pass you give a program with two other monsters they have to play. And I will give you one example, but see, Vanderbilt can only play three permanent opponents. By my count, I'm up to about seven examples where it has been put because the first two are so huge, you have to give them a pass. Show them what's behind door number three. Oh, it's Vanderbilt. And, and like, you want a perfect example? Auburn. If you're just sort of a casual observer of the SEC, hey, give me two games that Auburn has to play. Well, I thought they get three permanent opponents. They do. We'll get back to it, but give me two. Even if you're, like I said, just you sort of watch the SEC and and understand football, but you're not necessarily a fan of a team, but you, you know what it is. Give me two games Auburn has to play. You're going to say Alabama and Georgia. Uh-huh. Now, there are others. Auburn and LSU is a big series. Auburn and Florida has history. There's a lot of series in, in the conference that a lot of programs that you can look at with Auburn and go, yeah, they should play. That Auburn-Arkansas thing got heated up because of, you know, Gus and whatever else. I don't know how much they really care about it, but it's interesting. Plus, you got two teams in Mississippi that it's always blood sport to some degree because when they beat Auburn, big deal. Auburn, when they lose to one of the schools, big deal. It's a whole different perspective. So I would use Auburn as a – you have to play. And everybody knows it. Give me two games out of the three. Well, it has to be Alabama and Georgia. Do you know what almost every – now, I saw one that had Mississippi State, one that had Ole Miss. The vast majority say because you had to play those two, you get Vanderbilt. 
Florida, because you have to play LSU and Georgia, you get Vanderbilt. I've seen South Carolina. Well, you've got to play Georgia and Florida, so you get Vanderbilt. LSU, which does not have room for the three that they're going to have. Well, LSU, you have to play Florida. You have to play Alabama. I was like, do they have to play Florida? Focus group of one. Dan, does LSU have to play Florida? Is that a thing to you? Not anymore, no. Okay. That, uh, L- apparently, LSU doesn't have to, but LSU has to play Bama, and they have to play, and they do have to play Bama. Uh, they have to play Florida. All right, you get to play Vandy. I, that would have Vandy, if they have seven permanent opponents, that would give them a 13-game SEC slate. Like, they don't get any non-conference games. Here's the truth. If Oklahoma and Nebraska can stop playing, essentially – and college football has a postseason where they give me a matchup of Iowa versus USC in the Orange Bowl, not the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that let's preserve history thing is in the pick your battles category, and I ain't picking this one. You're giving me a ninth SEC game, and I'm going to see everybody at least twice, just not four times in four years. Folks, you got to take the win, and this is a giant win for everybody. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Oh, we go. Here's all college football on Chuck Oliver's show. Shane Beamer. I'm a huge fan. Shane Beamer has a new offensive coordinator and two things I believe he never wanted in this process. Uh, Garrett Riley and my or yours or anyone else's opinion on his hire. And he made that clear. So uh, whether it was the spoken word, uh, whether it was digital, whether it was typing online, uh, Shane Beamer is like, no, I hired this guy because that's the guy I wanted. And that's the truth. Um, So here's the thing about Shane Beamer. If there's anybody, any coach in the SEC, and I'm supposed to be saying this about the guy who's like, I don't know, 29 and one and has two natties in the past 13 months. Um, if there's any head coach in the SEC that can look at almost all the media or fans and everybody and go, uh-huh, y'all been wrong about me, it's Shane Beamer. And so maybe we're wrong about the OC. I don't know. I want to welcome on right now man who does a great job covering, oh, South Carolina, Clemson, everything. And the Paul Meta State, it is Gene Sapikoff. Brother, welcome back. How you doing today? Great, Chuck. And yeah, uh, Google my name and Shane Beamer and Dow Loggins, and you'll see that uh, he, he went after me in the press conference to introduce Coach Loggins, oh. but hopefully it works out. Yeah, he, like, he don't want my opinion. He don't want my opinion about his hire, about Garrett Riley. He don't want an opinion about any of that. Um, talk about just the reaction, because um, I looked at it from afar without having ever met Dow Loggins or honestly known a whole lot about him, and I was like, that didn't look like an SEC hire. Uh, that was just first blush with no information. And then I started looking, and I really didn't change my opinion. But as I said, Shane was not interested. Um, give me your flyover of this. Uh, it looks like one of the weirdest tires I've seen in uh, SEC sports, let alone football, in a long time. Dow Logan statistically is uh, one of the worst offensive coordinators in recent NFL history. However, 
He does have a long personal relationship with Shane Beamer, and South Carolina has a really good quarterback, Spencer Rattler, and a good go-to receiver in Juice Wells. Maybe this thing will work out at least in the short run, and that will buy Dow Loggins some time to call plays in college football and, and get used to things in Gamecock world. Just as a quick summary over the past two seasons, I mean, you win and you don't. So I'm not going to say they probably weren't as good as their seven wins or eight wins. They won the ball games. Um, Why? Like, why have they had better records than almost anyone outside of Shane Beamer's coaching office thought? Uh, Well, for one thing, they've got the best special teams play over the last couple years in college football, and that's really helped them win some key games for instance this year at Kentucky and a few others I mean two special teams fumbles were massive in the Clemson game and so uh, that's been a key and then just really steady defense I mean Clayton White for all the jabs Shane Beamer took for Marcus Satterfield an offensive coordinator who by the way worked out against Tennessee and Clemson pretty well asked them about Marcus Satterfield and the Dow Loggins hire the Clayton White hire at defensive coordinator was good their defense has basically been solid But, you know, if Spencer Rattler comes around and adds kind of a compliment to a defense and special teams-oriented team, Chuck, uh, maybe they can overachieve for a third year in a row in 2023. Jane Sapikoff, get him on Twitter, at Sapikoff. Use a K and two Fs, and you'll probably find it. Uh, And so follow him on Twitter. Uh, Let's bounce over to Clemson. And is it really a new day? Uh, for for Dabo, I mean, I know they got a kid in the transfer portal. Uh, I know that he's you know moved on from a coach he was loyal to. All this, I hear a lot of talk. It's a new day. Is it really a new Dabo? We'll see. I mean, that's a pretty bold move, not to just uh, dump a friend just like he got rid of Billy Napier, you know, after the 2010 season and brought in uh, Chad Morris. That really was the key change in making Clemson from kind of good to elite. So Garrett Riley uh, would have been one of the most sought after coordinators probably in all of football. I mean, the NFL probably would have liked looking at Garrett Riley. So that's that's pretty bold. We'll see, though. I mean, Cade Klubnick looked so good against the Tar Heels in the ACC championship game, as you know, Chuck, and so uh, problematic, we'll say, against Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. So there's a lot to uh, work with there. But uh, a lot of enthusiasm around that quarterback position right now with the combination of Cade Klubnick and Garrett Riley. Wrapping up today's truest reporter, Jane Sapikoff, again, posting Courier. Uh, let's talk about the fan base because ahead of spring practice and everything else, and, I mean, we got plenty of time, but uh, this really looks like – see, this is a great spot to occupy in my mind, uh, kind of that 11-3 uh, and three land. That's a great place for a fan base to live. It's not the space Clemson fans have been living in. What if that's where the program is right now? You know, quote, how long will they put up with this? Uh, This is going to be a critical season for that, Chuck, because um, Florida State is coming and coming strong, a 10-3 year coming off a Cheez-It Bowl win over Oklahoma. Clemson has them at home this year, but with the new ACC, no no more divisions. Clemson and Florida State are going to play twice, and they're going to play them again in Charlotte. And uh, we'll see if the Seminoles are indeed back. And uh, if they are and Clemson's number two in the ACC, then that fan base has got some reckoning to do. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you uh, making some time today. Interesting times. Plenty, uh, plenty for you to tap keys about. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much, Chuck. All right. Again, uh, columnist and college sports editor, Post and Courier. So it's SEC, ACC, and all that stuff. And it is.
That's a great place to occupy unless you've been occupying the 15 and 0 space, unless you've been occupying the – because uh, what Gene, we've talked about this. What Gene said there about Florida State, yeah. The North Carolina State loves where they are with Dave Doran. Dave Doran can't win a national championship at NC State, but they like where they are with him. And they could have the kind of season where they work their way into Charlotte on the right Saturday because I have said a very likely scenario is that Florida State and Clemson play each other twice. That the regular season game, which used to be if you handled your business in October, <laughs> show's over. All right? Get in your car, drive back to Tallahassee or Clemson or whichever, and spend, you know, drive back to Tallahassee lately. But show's over and you're out. We're going to Charlotte, and we'll play whoever gets the you know the fast pass from the coastal. That's not the case anymore. So lose to Florida State, and then have a sort of either I don't want to say typical Clemson, but I'm saying in most college football seasons, there's going to be a Saturday afternoon, and for Clemson, a lot of times it comes at home. Sometimes it's a Friday night at Syracuse, and you're like, what? And there's a reason. And Kelly Brown's foot didn't work or his ankle. Uh, maybe it's at home against Syracuse. Maybe it's at home against Louisville or NC State. Maybe, it, But they're going to have, in addition to the FSU game, it's not like, all right, now we won the rest of them. No. Uh-uh. And so what if you don't even make it there? What if you, what if you live in the 10-3 and three world? Because you're not even playing for the – it's Wake Forest and Pitt. And you're not even in Charlotte. What if you're in the ten and three world? You know what that, that is? It's a pretty dang good world. Unless over a six year span, made playoffs every single year, then the suddenly ten and three or even eleven and three. Oh, do we make the no we make the playoffs? Made the Orange Bowl, lost Tennessee. Didn't really matter, but didn't feel good. And so, yeah, eleven and three. Orange Bowl, trip to Miami, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or New January 2nd, all of that stuff, you know what it is? It's all awesome, unless you've been 15-0. and 0. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hugh 
he's been busy. Got hired. Had to hire staff. Same thing any coach does who gets hired. But uh, hire staff and recruit and evaluate transfers and do all the stuff. We know all of that stuff. And now he's to the point where a week from today, he starts spring practice at Auburn. And he knows how to run a practice. He's done that. You could drop – you could fly over a practice field anywhere in America, push you freeze out of a helicopter, and he could run the practice that day. It wouldn't go smoothly as it would later because those kids have never been at a Hugh Freeze practice. And so that's what you have to do. And so there is a, I'm going to hit the ground running. Well, not when suddenly you got like 110 kids out there who've never been through one of your practices. And it's not flying the space shuttle. They'll catch on. But it is another thing that he and the whole staff has had to uh, to be aware of as they, again, um, hit spring practice next Monday with a lot to decide. I want to welcome on now a guy that uh, we always love talk, talking Auburn with, college channel manager for the Locked On Network, and, of course, host of Locked On Auburn is Zach Blackerby. Zach, how are you today? I'm good, brother. Happy Monday. I appreciate that. Uh, this, What are we going to find out in spring? Because, you know, you can't say, well, the quarterbacks are great or, you know, the secondary is great because one of them has to give. So, you know, making great plays against yourself is always a little dicey, but – uh, start with quarterback. What does he want to see or what does he want to find out? I guess his messaging has been pretty consistent regardless if he, if he was talking to somebody on a podcast or a press conference or a group of high school coaches. He always says that these quarterbacks need to grow up. He's made it very clear he's going to ask more of that position than these guys have ever been asked uh, throughout their careers, which I think is good. I think it's needed because I think they're talented. I think some of them are just raw, and I think there are some immaturities and lack of leadership traits in some of them. So we'll see what exactly that looks like, whether it's Robbie Ashford, whether it's T.J. Finley, or, hey, maybe it's the young and up-and-coming Holden Gurner, who I think's got the best arm of those three guys. So, I, I mean, I think that's what it's going to be. But, Chuck, I, I don't know. I'm just not sold that Auburn's starter is on this roster right now. So, I mean, everybody's going to want to talk about quarterbacks throughout the spring. And we're going to, you know, hyperanalyze every single pass that we get to see in these open viewing windows over the next few months. But I'm just not – so I I don't think the start is on the roster right now. Yo, I I absolutely believe that that's a possibility because Hugh Freeze himself said that we looked in the first round of the portal and we didn't necessarily get what we were after. And so we'll go with these guys. And, you know, normally the spring quarterback battle, you know, but pre-portal it was always – I'm battling to win the job versus the other guys who are at spring practice right now. You could win the battle this spring for Auburn, and then there's a new guy who comes in, and you have to win it in August. That's a reasonable scenario, isn't it? 100%. And depending on who it is, like, how do you respond if you're the quarterback, right? I mean, TJ Finley, you know, he can grad transfer after the spring. He's on track to graduate. Holden Gurner has not transferred yet. Robbie's the only one that stuck, which is a little interesting just because he obviously transferred from Oregon a year ago to Auburn. So he's already used his free transfer there. And so, you know, if Auburn goes out and gets a quarterback, you know, on May, but what the windows may one through May 15, what if the quarterback comes on May 6th? Do you see other quarterbacks potentially enter the portal to respond to that? I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun um, chain of dominoes to, to see, you know, what falls and what, what uh, kind of triggers other reactions. But, yeah, just because something happens in spring and they're the first quarterback to trot out there on A-Day, yeah, it doesn't mean the job is theirs. 
All right. Uh, we can call it what it is. We're all adults, um, including some of the guys I'm talking about because they're like 23, 24, 25 years old. The Auburn offensive line last year, yes, there were injuries. Uh, there also was just a lack of talent. And even when you're Ooh. like a fifth-year or a six-year guy in any program, if you've reached your 100%, it really doesn't matter how old you keep getting. Um, how will the offensive line get better? Because I don't think it's been good since November of 17. Uh, it, it hasn't been good in a minute. It was okay in 19, but then it never really seemed like it got any better. And, you know, all these guys kept coming back, and then they just were like, all right, maybe this is the year they'll get better, nope. and, and they didn't. Maybe this is the year they get better, and they didn't. And so, yeah, what do they do? They respond, and they go out and get uh, four guys that I think – well, they got nine, but I think they're going to get four new guys that are all going to start along the offensive front, three through the transfer portal. One, um, Xavier Miller was committed to Ole Miss, followed Coach Thornton over from Ole Miss to Auburn, number one Juco tackle um, in this class. And I think they like Jeremiah Wright, who for some reason didn't start under Brian Harson. Very, very odd, but he seemed to be the only SEC caliber offensive lineman returning on this roster. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be him and four newcomers on the offensive line. At least that's the projected starters. You know, Cam Stutz is coming back. He was okay. We'll see if he can win um, win some battles this spring. But, yeah, I, I expect I expect a lot of new faces. Because, look, they go out and get Dylan Wayne from, uh, from Tulsa. Um, I, I think he's going to be super, super interesting to see. And then I thought the biggest addition that Auburn had over, over the portal period was, was Gunnar Britton. The, the left tackle from Western Kentucky, I think he's NFL-level good. And I think he also allows you to kind of put Wade at right tackle instead of left tackle. And I think a lot of guys will then fall into place. You go out and get a center from East Carolina that, that I think is going to be a plug-and-play starter. He's got a ton of experience. So um, Auburn's got a lot of snaps, a lot of guys with snaps under their belt coming into spring. They just don't have snaps at Auburn. And we'll see how that translates. All right, I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular, but they're like, I'm not kidding, four or five. Go, you can, and maybe you've written this too, four or five different uh, Auburn receivers or pass catchers because even a tight end who's now a receiver. So this guy coming back is so important to Auburn. And I'm like, he caught seven passes or he caught two passes or he caught 20 passes. I'm like, you want some experience? And, and, and I know that, but – I'm looking – there's like some of these guys that are coming back are being characterized way too importantly. Uh, maybe. I, I don't think we know just because the offensive scheme was so poor. I don't think we realize or know if these guys are legitimate or not. I think Coy Moore, the former LSU receiver, I think he's really, really good. He just didn't get the chance. And he had 20 catches for just over 300 yards last year. Javarius Johnson – I think he's really good. He had 26 catches. He almost got 500 yards, almost 20-yard average there. Like I think there's these guys that we've seen glimpses of in this really poor scheme over the last two years that just you know, the scheme didn't help them out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, are, they, are those guys detrimental to Auburn's success this year? I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. But guys like Cam Brown, you know, we, we saw glimpses of Amari Kelly last year. There's a there's a lot of dudes on this team that I think have it, Chuck. I, I just don't know if they've ever really been given the opportunity to succeed by their coaching staff at the college level. Um, I think one of them pops. I mean, the average the average wide receiver one 
in a Hugh Freeze system gets about 800 yards. And if Auburn has an 800-yard receiver, it'd be their best production from a wide receiver one in a long time, long time. And so we'll see if that happens. I think it's going to. I don't know who it's going to be, but like if it is a Coymore or a Javaris Johnson or a Cam Brown, um, then, yeah, I, I think they end up do becoming um, becoming a big part of this offense. All right, last thing for you, uh, Auburn's best pass rusher is going to be playing for the Jets or the Chargers or somebody, um, and they lost another good pass rusher, tough kid, uh, upperclassman. Who's going to be the, the, the best pass rusher for Auburn in 2023? Yeah, Derek Hall and Nick Uliota both getting drafted, and then their third guy, Marcus Bragg, who was a grad transfer, yeah. um, he ran out of eligibility. So, it's interesting. I think there's three guys in that edge room right now, and I think you can make the case for all of them for different reasons. Uh, Elijah McAllister, former Vanderbilt edge player, got all the experience. He probably has the highest floor, lowest ceiling of the three. Dylan Brooks, he's been in the system, um, but he just hasn't really like gained that extra 20 pounds that he's needed to over the course of his first bit. Uh, at the college level, can he kind of fill out that frame? Talk to Derek Hall and Mobile at the Senior Bowl. He thinks he can do it, so we will certainly see. But the most talented guy is Keldrick Falk. I mean, Auburn, Auburn's yeah. lone five-star in this past class, got that fifth-star courtesy of rivals after really showing out of that all-star game. Um, can, he, can he figure it all out early? Kind of gives me Marlon Davidson vibes. I remember the first open practice we were able to when Marlon Davidson and his class came in. The rest of the freshmen – we're doing their own drills, but Marlon Davidson was practicing with the veterans. I kind of think we're going to see a similar thing with Keldrick Ball. He's just so college ready, despite playing at a low level of Alabama high school football. Um, he's special. He's really, really special. And uh, the more Auburn can get him on the field and sooner they can get him on the field, I think it'll be better for the defense. Hey, actually, one more kid, and this is specifically Wesley Steiner. Um, I don't know. As the season went on, like that last month with Coach Caddy, I was like, he ain't playing as much. That's not good. Um, have I missed something? Is he still with the program? He's going to go through spring because he's a, either a senior or a fifth-year guy now, isn't he? He's been there a minute. He's certainly been there a minute. And, look, when he was on the field, he's got his opportunities, but he's just – I mean, Mississippi State, I think it was their first four plays of the game. They went to him, whether it was they run right at him, they threw right right at him, they ran right at him. It was like four straight first down. Like, it was bad. And then he didn't play anymore because he's just a liability when he's on the field. He's got the, he's got the ability. He's got the – like, he, so Owen Papo breaks all these, like, athletic numeral records or whatever uh, when he was coming out of high school. Then Wesley Steiner broke all of those. And so, like, oh, my gosh, Auburn people are, we're going to go put Owen Papo and Wesley Steiner next to each other. They're going to be, like, the most athletic set of linebackers ever. Yeah. And um, it just never really panned out. So, we'll see. He, um, he may be on transfer watch. It's just the linebacker's kind of a thin position, so they may need him. Who knows? Folks, this is the kind of expertise and drill down you get. Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. Uh, get him also online. Go to auburndaily.com. Thank you, Zach. Hey, thanks, guys. All right, Zach Blackerby again, Z Blackerby on Twitter, and he's the College Channel manager at the Locked On Network, but specifically Locked On Auburn uh, and Auburn Daily, which is si.com. So that's what you got is a lot of turnover like everybody else, except with Auburn, there are a lot more grown men linemen. (laughs) Uh, You lost your pass rush, but a lot more grown men linemen that I think – also match that with 
more SEC sort of get in there and, and skill more than just the brawl and the fight and the experience. And so you just got to have it. And at some point, you, you know, you reach that talent level and they're the ceiling. And so, so that's where the offensive line's in big transition and big questions. Uh, as I said, on defense, it's the pass rush. But the linebackers have as much – Where's the pass rush coming from? I'll figure it out. Oh, boy. Is there something more? Con- yeah, the linebackers. I like to see it, actually, in a game. A lot of names. Guys who have played. But it is. Uh, it's turnover, man. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be a very big challenge for the new D.C. to try to replicate what is he, he was able to do at Baylor pressure-wise with two NFL pass rushers gone and at least uncertainty to this point i mean i assume it'll be demario told one of them but uncertainty at this point um really who's going to populate those spots in the front six because well the defense is going to have guys flying around uh with five defensive backs most of the time so we're going to take a break we'll come back wrap up uh, hour one next The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. For Alabama, you know, common sense would say if they do sort of stay regional, it'd be LSU. And for Auburn, I don't know, Florida or, you know, whoever. But it wouldn't surprise me if outside of the rivalries we have to keep, they just mix it up completely. Outside of the rivalries we have to keep. That's Barrett Salee from all that CBS Sports does covering college football. It involves Barrett Salee. Yeah, he used to just be in this SEC box. He has pushed the walls on that, but he's still SEC expert. And he was on uh, Jocks. Mac and Cube with Barrett's scheduling ID, uh, idea for the SEC in 24 and beyond. Again, it's not the 24 schedule necessarily. It's the scheduling model beginning in 2024 and what it'll look like for the foreseeable future. So that was Barrett talking. And you heard him. I mentioned earlier that, like, my school, well, you have to play Auburn. You have to play. I mean, you have to play. I mean, you have to play Georgia. Well, you always have, and I get it. And I would like those series to continue. I'd really like my team to win them every year, like most folks. So, you have to play those two. He Barrett said, "Auburn can play Florida." I'm like, slow down. Give us Oklahoma and Texas too. Go ahead. And Clemson and Ohio State. Uh, just well, that'll be it every year. Be awesome. Three wins every year. Uh, so that's just what it is for some folks. It's going to be those two games plus Florida. Uh, for some folks, it's plus LSU. For for this folk, it's Vanderbilt. And I mentioned that there are a lot of people who have in the case of because it's one Tennessee, for instance, you have to play Florida. You don't. You have to play Alabama. You don't. But you have to play Florida and Alabama. I've seen you have to play Vanderbilt. You don't. And just because you're in the same state, 
and you've always played Vanderbilt, it, it being in the same state is no justification, first of all. And I'm going to tell you, those three permanent slots for Vanderbilt, like cigarettes in prison, uh, valuable, and you can't just hand one off to the balls. Now, I don't know who else Tennessee's playing. They have to play Georgia, and they have to play Florida. Well, don't they have to play Alabama, too? But you're going to give them Vanderbilt. So there's no way to make everybody happen, so don't even try. You're just going to put in place what you think you have to have, but the reality is you don't have to have any of it because the worst outcome, and I want this, and it's a mark on my calendar every year, and I didn't even go to either place. Alabama, LSU, woo, get me. If you give me twice every four years instead of four times every four years, four is better. It's not the biggest tragedy. It's not. Texas and Texas A&M used to play every single year and played in 20 years. Is it 20-ish? A little over 10, 12 years. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, when they left the conference. They stopped, mm-hmm. the, they stopped the bonfire about 25 years ago. That's it. But um, so they haven't played in a decade. Oklahoma, Nebraska. That was not only did they play it every year, and they really did, but it was a game that sometimes decided the entire college football season. Okay, they're both 10 and 0, and now only one of them is undefeated, and they're going to the Orange Bowl to play for the national championship. Sorry, Nebraska, you lost a game, but we lost to a team that may go, yeah, mm hmm. One year they were so good, they was like, Nebraska, go play again. Do y'all realize that? Please go look. I don't know, Dan. 78, 79, one of the years, Oklahoma, Nebraska, which was always the last game of the regular season, Thanksgiving weekend, they were, two teams were so good and that game was so great, they're like, yeah, heck with it, play again down in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> okay. They don't play anymore. So, if Alabama and Tennessee don't keep playing, I don't like it. It really will be okay dan how is your monday oh man so far so good and you know it actually kind of harkens back to what me and you talked about at the beginning of the show when you asked me about florida for lsu because if this is about 15 years ago then yeah florida matters but right now they don't matter which is kind of why whenever people are afraid of changes to scheduling or to conference realignment or anything of the such, the rivalry conversation always cracks me up because yes, you do want Florida and Florida state to play each other every year, LSU and Florida, all of these different types of things. It it would be nice to have, but you don't really need to have it because you can just create a new rivalry pretty much at the drop of a hat. I mean, Who would have necessarily thought that Alabama and Georgia would necessarily be a thing? But I probably would ask most Alabama fans, in fact, you know what? Get at me on Twitter, at the end Matthews ATL, because I think there are probably more Alabama fans that right now care about beating Georgia much more than they care about beating Auburn. And I get it. It's the Iron Bowl. There's built-in hatred. It's that every single year. But the rivalry isn't what it's been, especially, you know, going back about 10 years ago or such, because one side of the rivalry is not necessarily holding up their end of the bargain. Kind of like what Chuck asked me about earlier about LSU and Arkansas, the golden boots. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, aside from that, what do you necessarily care about for that game? Much more if you're an LSU fan, 
you probably are looking forward to the first weekend in November much more than you're looking forward to any other game on the schedule that season because of supremacy for the West and necessarily how both programs have been over the last few years, although Alabama a little bit more consistent than uh, their uh, than uh, their their counterpart in LSU, which is something that Brian Kelly and company are trying to build up. But you get my point, though, is that I always love whenever people just go to the rivalry uh, to the rivalry card, and I say that only gets you so many amount of days on that card because it's going to change within an instant. I mean, because now it seems like at least at Tennessee, with the way that their program is trending and the way that they play these last couple of years. All of a sudden, that could become an even larger game for Alabama. That game hadn't even been a, a a hint on the radar. The third Saturday in October started to become just a, all right, put it, you know, 7 o'clock kickoff, put it on ESPN2, whatever, because the game didn't matter. And that is just the, the whole thing of all of this talk that whenever people bring up about rivalries and say, oh, well, I can't believe you're taking this game away from me, my response is always the same you'll find a new one and you'll be able to create some hatred for somebody else and be able to say why that game is the largest game on your schedule every single year, because it changes periodically as the way that these programs go. And that's why it never really makes me concerned. I mean, you know, I think that there was a thought that when Texas and A&M stopped playing each other, it was my God, what are we going to do on Thanksgiving days? We found out pretty quickly what we're going to do on Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving weekends. We're going to have LSU and Texas A&M. We'll have Texas playing against, I don't know, whoever the hell. But if you're concerned about a rivalry, just wait a few minutes. It'll try to work itself out. Hour one in the books, hour two ahead. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a Mad Men's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.